The woman stood as still as the mountains around her, taking in the view from Mount Carrig House. The wind swept overgrown gardens and the ragged path leading down to the lake. Behind her towered Mount Carrig itself, a spectacular rock dominating a range of mountains which swelled to the southwest. Spread out before her lay Carrick Well, the bustling market town that took its name from the mountain. It was bisected by the river Tullow, and from here, high up, she could make out the gently winding main street, the sprawl of houses, shops, parks and schools, and the medieval cathedral at the centre. A quarter of a century before, Carrick Well had been a sleepy backwater, within reach of Dublin but still very much a rural community. Time, and the price of houses in the city, had turned it into a busier town, but the air of tranquillity had remained. Some said this was because of the ancient ley lines that crossed it. Druids, early Christians, religious refugees, all in their turn had come to Carrickwell and set up home in the benevolent shadow of Mount Carrick, where they could seek refuge and thrive on the pure mountain spring water. On a slope to the left of the mountain were the ruins of a Cistercian monastery, now a honeypot for tourists. Across the town, near the pretty but slightly crumbling Willow Hotel, was a small stone circle that archaeologists believe to be the site of a druidic settlement. Mystical Fires, a small shop in the town that sold all manner of alternative artefacts, from crystals and tarot cards to dream catchers and angel pins, did a roaring trade in books about the druids at midsummer. At Christmas, visitors drifted unconsciously away from Mystical Fires to the Holy Land a little Christian bookshop where they could buy recordings of Gregorian chant as well as prayer books, delicate Hummel holy water fonts and the shop's speciality, mother-of-pearl rosary beads. The respective owner of each shop, a pair of lovely septuagenarian ladies, each devout in her chosen creed, didn't mind in the slightest that their businesses waxed and waned in this manner. The wheel of fortune turns in its own way, said Zara from Mystical Fires. God knows what's best for us, agreed Una from the Holy Land. With all the spiritual vibes, there was a great sense of peace hovering over Carrickwell, and it drew people to the town. It was certainly this aura that had drawn Leah Mare to Mount Carrick House on a cold September morning. Despite her ski jacket, Leah could feel the chill sneaking into her body. She was used to the dry heat of California, and the cold made her feel achy. I'm beginning to feel my age, she thought, shivering, though she knew everyone marvelled at how young she looked. She'd taken good care of herself over the years, but eventually it had taken a discreet iron brow lift to give her back the finely sculpted face she'd been born with. Sixty really could be the new forty. Leah smiled to herself, as long as he had the right plastic surgeon. And she could put up with the aching joints because she'd finally found the place to build her spa. Mount Carrig House was perfect. An elegant 18th-century family home, designed in the grand classical style, with fabulous high-ceilinged rooms, a gravel drive sweeping up to the great portico, and abundant formal rose gardens that could be brought back to their former glory. Calm, Leah said, turning to the estate agent. Don't you feel 
instantly calm when you stand here. Rob could tell when clients liked a place, and this woman showed all the signs of being besotted. He knew she had money, too, because she'd arrived in a sleek, black, chauffeur-driven car from the airport. It had to be said she didn't dress like a millionaire. She wore jeans, a very ordinary blue padded coat, simple soft cream pumps, and no jewellery. It was hard to work out how old she was. Rob liked to put a date to property and people, but this woman's age eluded him. Elegantly slim, with silky chestnut hair and big dark eyes, she could have been anything from thirty to sixty. Her olive skin was unlined and glowing, and she looked so happy within herself. Early forties, perhaps. I love the house, Leah said. I'll take it. She clasped Rob's hand and smiled, feeling peace flooding through her. She'd felt tired for so long, but already she was impatient to start work. Mount Carrig Spa? The Spa on the Rock? A name would come to her. A name suggestive of a haven, not a place where bored women would have their toes painted. No. Her spa would be about making people feel good from the inside out. It would be a place where people would come when they were exhausted and didn't know where else to go. With the tranquil vibes of Carrickwell in the air, they would be revitalised and healed. The magic of a similar place had once given Leah back some semblance of peace and serenity. Clouds Hill had been its name, from the ancient American Indian name for the hill on which it had been built and suddenly Leah realised that the same name would be perfect here. The other Clouds Hill, where she'd learned to enjoy life again, was a world away. But there was magic in this place too, and with this spa she could do for other people what the original Clouds Hill had done for her. Giving something back was her way of saying thanks. Mel Redmond loved her job at Lorimar Health Insurance. She was highly focused and had vowed to be one of the company's publicity directors by the time she was 40. Two children had changed all that. Her life was dedicated to making sure that two-and-a-half-year-old Carrie and four-year-old Sarah didn't suffer because she went out to work. She was now 40. The publicity directorship was a goal that had moved further away instead of closer and she was struggling to keep all the balls in the air. As motherhood made her boobs drop, it made her ambition slide as well. These days she had two jobs, motherhood and career, and she felt she wasn't doing either of them right. The third part of the trinity, marriage, wasn't something she had time to work on. It was just freewheeling along with its own momentum. How does a working mother know when her partner has had an orgasm, went a recent email from an old college pal. He phones home to tell her. It was the funniest thing Mel had heard for a long time. Funny in a hysterical, life raft with a hole in it sort of way. But she couldn't share the joke with anyone, especially her husband Adrian, in case he remarked how accurate it was. In their household, lovemaking occupied the same level of importance as long baths with aromatherapy products to reduce stress. Nil. Mel's fervent hope was that if she kept quiet and jollied the house along, cheerily smiling at Adrian, Carrie and Sarah, then nobody would notice the places where her love and attention were spread thin. Delegate, have some me time and don't let your family expect you to be the superwoman, 
crude magazine articles about the stress of the working mother. Me time? What the hell was me time? And how could you delegate the housework weekly shop to a pair of under fives and a man who didn't know how to check can labels for benzoates? At least she didn't look 40 yet, which was handy, because she had neither the time nor the money for Botox. Looking younger than she was had been hell when she was 18 and had to produce her student card to get into grown-up films. Now, two children and endless sleepless nights later, it was a blessing. Nature had given Mel a small face with a pointed chin, pale skin and eyes the clear blue of the sky after a storm, with hints of violet around the pupils. Maybelline New York had given her thick black lashes and kiss-proof cherry lip stain that would survive a nuclear attack. A sense of humour meant she had plenty of smile lines around her mouth. She looked at her watch. It was five past ten. Damn, 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 late. She galloped up the stairs, managing to find her lip gloss as she ran. Edmund Moriarty, the chief executive of Lorimar Health Insurance, had just taken his seat at the top of the big conference room, but there was still a mild hum of conversation, allowing Mel to slip in and make her way to a free seat. How do we go forward? That is the question, Edmund began, gravel-voiced. Lorimar is the market leader, but stiff competition means we must keep striving. Although Mel kept her gaze on the boss, so it looked as if she was paying attention to his gems of wisdom, her mind was on the list of things she had to achieve that day. Speech for publicity forum lunch. Go over brochure photos with fine tooth comb. Phone sentinel journalists re-psychiatric case. Pick up nappies, wipes and vegetables, chicken, beans and kids' yogurts. Talk to Adrian about Saturday. His mother can't ask mine. Buy tights. Fairy costume. Where to buy? Multitasking. A way of life, Mel knew, so that working mothers could hold on to their jobs and still keep the home fires burning. Mel could see her female colleagues concentrating, or at least pretending to, on what Edmund was saying. Hilary, head of Lorimar's publicity and marketing departments and Mel's boss, wore that serene expression that said she was listening intently. But Vanessa was staring glassy-eyed and simultaneously trying to text on her mobile phone. Vanessa had a 13-year-old son, Connell, and apparently 13-year-old boys were even harder to control than two under five girls. Vanessa was divorced and Mel's best friend in the company. They were nearly the same age, had the same sense of humour, and admitted privately to each other that balancing work and home life was ten times harder than doing the actual job at Lorimar.